Thank you, Stu, for helping us worship today. Wonderful worship already. It is so good, and I'm so glad to be here with you guys. I was thinking, I guess August is a special time of the year for me because it was 14 years ago, August 1st, uh, that I came to, to Arkansas. So it seems like this time of year, uh, God just seems to open up a, a different chapter. And I'm excited about being here. I'm excited about working uh, with a great pastor. Brother Tom walks with God. You know, I'm aware of his presence every now and then, but Brother Tom walks with God, and I'm excited to be here and be able to walk alongside uh, him. I'm excited to be here with you guys. Now, I've learned a lot, met a lot of people today, but help me out because there are 800 of you <laughs> and, and one of me, all right? And I'm from Alabama, which makes me a little bit slower than you guys, all right? So, uh, but I'm trying, okay? So every time you see me over the next few weeks, uh, hey, just, just give me your name again, okay? I learn a few names a week, 70, 80 years from now, I'll have it down, I promise, okay? And so, so you can help me with that. I'm excited about being a part uh, of, a, of a great church, of being a part of a, of a wonderful people. You know, because as we look around at, 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 at church today, uh, we see a lot of good, but then if we, if we look hard enough, we, we'd have to say that we see some things that aren't so good, right? Some things that may be a little bad. Some of you may remember the story of the, of the lady who uh, was getting on up in age and, and she wanted a husband. And so she came to her pastor one day and she said, Pastor, would you pray with me that I would get a husband? And so the pastor said, well, if you believe that's God's will for your life, I will pray with you that you'll get a husband. Didn't see her for a few weeks. Next time he saw her, she said, preacher, you can quit praying. The Lord has sent me a husband. The pastor said, oh, well, that's good. She said, well, not too good. He's 100 years old. The pastor said, oh, well, that's bad. She said, well, not too bad. He's rich. He's a millionaire. The pastor said, oh, well, that's good. She said, well, not too good. He's so stingy. He won't give me a dime. The pastor said, oh, well, that's bad. She said, well not too bad he did build me a big nice new house to live in the pastor said oh well that's good she said well not too good it burned down last week the pastor said oh well that's bad she said well not too bad he was in it you know there's good and bad in everything right even in the church a lot of people are just sort of wandering around today uh, looking uh, for that perfect church you know, and, and, and they drive up and they look at the outside and they see some of the programs and they understand some of the ministries and they come in and say, that must be a perfect church, and they join it. And then when they get in there, they realize that it's not perfect. And so then they start looking for another church. You know, the church is just people, right? And none of us are perfect, right? In fact, if you find a perfect church, don't join it because it won't be perfect anymore if you join. Because we're not perfect. Our Lord is perfect, but we're not perfect. And so today, we're not looking for a perfect church, but I believe that in the, in the New Testament in Acts chapter 11, we find a church that while it may not be a perfect church, it is indeed a model church. It's referred to only as the, the church at Antioch. So if you will look with me in Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11 verse 19. We read these words. 
Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And in those days prophets came up from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and and, and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. And then the disciples, each according to his ability, Determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Chapter 13, verse 1. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And as they worshipped the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Here here in Acts chapter 11, if we were to to read through the entire book of Acts, we we see a turning point. Because now we we, we see a a, a turning from the primary character being that of Peter to uh, being that of Paul. We, we see the, the emphasis shifting from that primarily taking the gospel to the Jews to, to now taking the, the gospel to the Gentiles. And we see the key church shifting from being the church there at Jerusalem to being the church at Antioch. In fact, this church at Antioch became the central church for the whole missionary enterprise of the first century. What made this church so special? What, what, made it, what it made it so very different? I believe we see it all there in verse 21. When it says, And the hand of the Lord was on them. Think about it for a moment. As, as you de- describe your church, or as you described other churches that you've been a part of, You might talk about churches having a a, a great children's ministry or a church having a great student ministry or a church having a great music ministry or a church having wonderful buildings or, or, or being a loving fellowship or whatever. But how many times have we described the church as it's just having the hand of the Lord on it? That was what was so different about the church at Antioch. Now, now, why was the, the, the hand of the Lord on the, on the church at Antioch? Well, I think we see from, from this text right here, a rather lengthy text, but I, I think we see some things about the church at Antioch that shows us why the hand of the Lord was on them. First of all, they were an evangelistic church. 
You see, down in Jerusalem, the, the church had started and the believers had begun there in the upper room with 120 and, and then it grew into the thousands and the church in Jerusalem was growing and growing and growing, but persecution arose. And all of a sudden, then the church was scattered. Now, the enemy thought if they scattered everybody, that it would close the movement. It would stamp out the power. They would, they would divide and die. But, but it backfired because as they scattered the church, everywhere they went, churches began to spring up. And as, as these men and women were scattered from the church at Jerusalem, they just did what they knew to do. They just went and preached Jesus. They just told people about Jesus Christ. Now to begin with, since the only other believers they knew were Jews, to begin with they only talked to Jews about it. They only talked to people who were like them. But, but some of them became so bold that they just began to talk to, talk to everybody about Jesus. And to their amazement, people who were not Jews heard, understood, were saved. And all of a sudden you had all of these people coming to the Lord. Verse 21 said, a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Now understand, these weren't preachers. They, they weren't educated. They, they didn't have any experience. They were just common, everyday men and women like you and me talking about Jesus. As they went and talked about Jesus, people were saved. You say, yeah, but preacher, that was a long time ago. That was back in the first century. I wonder what would happen today if the church of the 21st century, just everywhere we went, we talked about Jesus. What if we talked a little more about Jesus and a little less about Razorback football? What if we talked a little more about Jesus and, and, and a little less about Bryant baseball? What if we just talked about Jesus? Could it be again that a great number would turn to the Lord? That's exactly what happened in Acts. So much, in fact, so many people were saved that the church at Jerusalem got wind of it. And they said, hey, we better, we better send somebody up there, see what's going on, see if it's real, see what's happening. And so they sent Barnabas up there. <laughs> and when Barnabas got there, the Scripture says that he saw the grace of God. And he knew it was real. How did he recognize the grace of God? Because people were being saved. Anytime people are being saved, the grace of God is present because it's by grace that you're saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of work, lest any man should boast. He got there and he saw the grace of God. He saw people being saved. Now Barnabas' very, very name meant son of encouragement. And Barnabas was an encourager. And so when he got there and he saw people being saved, he just encouraged them all the more. It was like throwing gas on a fire. And all the more people were saved. The hand of God was on them because they were an evangelistic church. Didn't Jesus give us a commission? We call it a great commission. To go and, and make disciples. You see, we, sometimes I'm afraid that we think that in the 21st century, we don't need to do that anymore. You know, if we just build a building, they'll come. If we just put our sign up by the interstate, they'll come. All of those things are good and they're helpful, but it never takes away our obligation, 
our opportunity to go and share Jesus with people. Everywhere we're going, the church at Antioch, when they went and they began to talk, they just talked about Jesus. They weren't even necessarily trying to get people to come to their church. They wanted people to come to know the Lord. They wanted them to come to know Jesus. They were evangelistic. And people were being saved. And the more Barnabas saw, the more excited he was, the more he preached, even more people. And so all of a sudden, he had all of these people that had come to know the Lord. And he realized he needed some help. And he remembered a man by the name of Saul. A man who had once been a persecutor of the church. One who had been given the authority by the Jewish leaders there in Jerusalem to go and find Christians wherever they were meeting and drag them out into the street and beat them and throw them into jail. But you know the story that day on the road to Damascus, the Apostle Paul, uh, Saul who would later become the Apostle Paul would meet Jesus and he would have a change of heart, a change of life, a change of mind, a change of will. He, he, be, he became a believer himself. But when he got down to Jerusalem and said, hey, I, hey, sorry about all that, I'm a Christian now. They, they didn't know whether to believe him or not. In fact, they were still a little bit suspect of him. They thought, what, is he just a spy? Is he just faking it? Is he just coming in here to, you know, get our names and addresses so he can put us in jail? And so they kept him at arm's length. But Barnabas remembered him. And Barnabas went to Tarsus and he, and he got him and he, and he brought him here because not only was the church at Antioch an evangelistic church, but they were also a discipling church. They understood that the people that come to know the Lord, they needed some instruction. They needed some encouragement. They needed some mentoring. They, they, they needed to, to learn more. Now, the, the church in Jerusalem, at least everybody there had basically been Jews, and so they knew the Old Testament Scriptures. They, they were pretty much on the same page, but now you had people coming to know the Lord that had no background whatsoever. All they were doing was hearing and believing and trusting and they were being saved but they were brand new and they needed some help I, I, I like the fact that it says that, that for a whole year they assembled together and they were first called Christians at Antioch now that word Christian literally means a little Christ or imitating like Christ and to begin with it was probably a derogatory term they were saying, you guys are just trying to be little Christ. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the worst thing that they could say about us, if the worst thing the world could say about our church is y'all are all trying to be just like Jesus. Y'all are all just like Jesus. But that's what they were saying about the church at Antioch because they were a discipling church. You see, as, we, as we're evangelistic and as we reach people, we've got to help people come to know him. We got to help them grow up. How many of you would would think about when you go to the hospital and you and you and you have that that new little boy or that new little girl and you just give them a card and say, "Okay, now I, I give birth to you. Now call me if you have any problems. Call me if you need anything." Of course, they need stuff, right? They they need they need everything. And so as we go out and talk about Jesus and see people come to know Christ, you know, we have a responsibility 
to encourage them and help them and, 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 and walk alongside them. And, and you can't get that by just, well, we, we've got a six-week new members class. That's like saying to anybody, well, I'll take care of it for six weeks. After that, you're on your own. You've had time to get it. No, we've got to nurture them because they don't know anything, right? Now, 15, 16 years later, when they're teenagers, they know everything. But to begin with, they don't know very much. And we have to help them. The church at Antioch was a discipling church. They didn't just bring them in the front door and send them out the back door. They discipled them. They were a discipling group. And Barnabas and Saul spent so much time with them that they began to see the difference in their life because they were acting like Jesus. But not only were they an evangelistic church and a, and a discipling church, but, but they were a, a ministering church. They ministered. When, when they got word that, that there was a, a famine and that there was a church that needed help, they immediately, they got together with what they had, the scripture says, each according to their ability, and they met those needs. I'm thankful that, uh, that, that we're a ministering church. That we're a church who sees the need for ministries like divorce care and, and, and grief share and children's ministry and, and, and student ministry and, and the recess ministry and special needs, all of those things. Because we have an opportunity to love people, but even more than that, we have an opportunity to let Jesus love them through us. The hand of God was on the church in Antioch because they were an evangelistic church. They were a discipling church. They were a ministering church. But then notice in chapter 13, verse 2, as they worshiped the Lord and fasted. Now some, some of your translations may say minister. The, the, the word there is, is liturgio. We get our word liturgy from it. It means to worship, to, to, to minister, to serve. But they were a worshiping church because as they were evangelistic and as they discipled and as they ministered, worship was at the center of all of that. You see, in our, in our day and time, we've, we've many times reduced worship to just an event, haven't we? To an activity. That's why we talk about things like worship style. And we, we talk, you know, it, worship is more than a style. It's, it, it's more than music. It's more than, it's more than singing. It's even more than, than, than getting a crowd. You know, a crowd and a church are not synonymous, are they? Altel Arena can draw crowds, but it's not a church. Razorback Stadium can draw a crowd, but it's not a church. See, as we come together, we, we come together to worship. How, how do we know that they were worshiping? Because they heard the call of God. You see, anytime we really worship, we hear the call of God and we respond in commitment to God. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, when he saw the Lord high and lifted up there in the temple, he, first of all, he said, Woe is me, for I'm undone. He saw the holiness of God and the sinfulness of himself. And then once he confessed that and was, was cleansed of that, then the next thing he heard the Lord say, 
Whom shall I send? And who will go for me? And Isaiah said, Here am I, Lord. Send me. And as they were there together worshiping, they heard the call of God and they responded in commitment. See, sometimes it's far too easy for us just to, just to come to the service and we go out and we say, that was a great, great message, preacher. Wonderful service, Stu. Then we go to Cracker Barrel and go home and take our nap forget all about it. If it happens, we didn't really worship. If we didn't hear God's call on our lives, if we didn't respond in commitment to Him, we didn't really worship. We just went to church. We just went through another week. The church in Antioch was a, was a worshiping church, and as they were worshiping, God said, I want you to set aside or set apart Barnabas and Saul. Now, they had five people that are mentioned there. Barnabas and Saul, we've already read about. They were the most prominent. And God said, separate them for the work that I have for them. He was going to use them to begin to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And what did the church do? Immediately. They prayed, they fasted, they laid hands on them, and they sent them out. Because they knew that was what God wanted them to do. They didn't hem-haw around about it. They didn't form a study committee to study it for a while. They did what God asked them to do. Because not, the hand of God was on the church at Antioch, not only because they were an evangelistic church and a discipling church and a ministering church and a worshiping church, the hand of God was on the church at Antioch because they were a missionary church. They sent people out. One of the greatest blessings that God can bestow on a church is, is, is calling people out of that church. Like he, like he did Brother Chris and, and like he did the others that, that Tom mentioned early today. Do you, do you believe that, that God places the members in the body as it pleases Him? Scripture says He does. And so you and I are called and placed in churches because we're all called to minister, right? Every believer is called to be a minister. Every believer is gifted for ministry. Every believer has a place where, where God wants to use them. For some of us, it's right here in this place, in this town where we live. But for some of us, it's a long way away. And as a church, when God calls somebody out of, out of our midst, we ought not to try to hold on to them. We ought to lay hands on them and send them off excited that they're going to be able to be involved in a ministry where God is placing them. We don't need to be selfish with our people. The hand of God was on the church at Antioch because they were evangelistic. They were discipling. They were ministering. They were worshiping. They were missionary. They sent their best. They didn't say, oh, no, not Barnabas. He's our encourager. Not, not Paul. He, he, he's our discipler. No, they did what God asked them to do. The hand of God was on that church. You know, if we were to look around the landscape today of churches, we see a lot of good, we see a lot of bad. 
You know, we see a lot of churches that are dying. They're drying up. And we see a few churches that are growing. But you know if we look deeper, do you know where most of the growth is coming from, from the churches that are growing? From the churches that are dying. They're just jumping ship and and going to another church. And all we're doing is just reshuffling the deck. But the problem is the deck is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And the world out there, those people that don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, that number's getting greater and greater and greater and greater. Because there are not a lot of Antiochs around anymore. In fact, in many churches, we're not really concerned about seeing lost souls come to know Christ. We're concerned about tithers coming and joining our church. Not like Antioch. I'm excited to be a part of a church like the church at Antioch. Evangelistic, discipling, missionary, ministering, worshiping church that God is going to use to reach this county with the gospel. Perhaps you, like me, have watched a lot of the Olympics. A lot of Great things, a lot of last-minute victories, wonderful things going on. But you know my favorite story from the Olympics? It's not from this year's Olympics, but it's from an Olympics back in 1991 in Seattle, Washington. And at that Olympics, all of the runners were lined up, and they were going to run a 50-yard dash. And as the gun sounded and they began to run, one of the runners right out of the gate fell. Skinned his knee up pretty badly and sat there on the track and cried. All the other runners stopped. One looked back at the fallen runner and went back. Happened to be a girl. She walked back and she bent down and she picked him up. And then all the contestants in the race, they locked arms. And they walked across the finish line at the same time. You say, preacher, I've never seen that happen in an Olympics. I don't even remember an Olympics in Seattle, Washington in 1991. Oh, this was no ordinary Olympics. It was a special Olympics. But those kids understood that it was more important to help as many as they could across the finish line than it was to beat everybody else there. I look forward to the opportunity that we have to lock arms together in ministry and to be a church like the church at Antioch and get as many people across the finish line to see Jesus as we possibly can. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the church at Antioch. Lord, thank you for the church at Indian Springs. Lord, help us to be who you want us to be. Lord, help us to be what you've called us to be. 
Lord, help us to be that church that's evangelistic, that we just share Jesus wherever we go. Help us, Lord, to disciple, to help people to grow, to be like you. Help us to minister as we have opportunity. Lord, keep us focused on you as we worship. And then, Lord, help us continue to be missionary as we don't stop at the boundaries of our city or our county or our state, but we try to take the gospel to the ends of the earth as you've commanded us to. We ask you for that in the name of Jesus. Amen.